With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. I've got Joel Klatt with me right now. At Joel Clad on Twitter, he joins us every single week, and uh, he is joining me early in the morning here in L.A. as we get ready for another weekend of college football. So I'm going to jump right in with you. I want to go straight hypotheticals, right? We didn't really have anything change overall in the uh, in the top ten, nothing substantial at all. Two c- tough calls that I think are out there. I'm going to start with this one. Georgia beats Alabama. Have you changed your mind, or do you still think 12-1 and Michigan gets in. What do you think the committee does and what do you think they should do? So there's there's two two reasons why I would think the committee would lean towards Michigan. And and let me start with the premise that last year, people are, are constantly bringing up last year and what they did with Alabama and Ohio State, but I actually think it's a bad comparison because Ohio State had two losses. Remember they had the OU and Iowa loss. So the committee was able to skirt the term comparable teams. And they got around that and just said, well, they're not comparable, so we don't have to go to the conference championship. Even though the week prior they did say they were comparable, then they skirted that when when the rubber hit the road. So there's that. They would have the exact same record, and I think they would have to explain away with great detail why they felt Alabama was just so far and away more deserving than, than Michigan at that point. Now, here's the other part of this. If Michigan wins out in this hypothetical scenario, they would be the first team in the in in history to win all nine games of a nine-game conference schedule and a conference championship game. So they would be the first team in, in history of college football to win 10 conference games, essentially, win that conference's championship, and with the emphasis that the committee and the commissioners are supposed to put on conference championships, 
they would I think their hands would be tied at that that position. Now, I'm not suggesting that Alabama even with a loss is a worse team than Michigan. I just think that they would include Michigan on those two bases. Do you at all factor in if Vegas would say, which they would, Alabama's two touchdowns better than Michigan? Do you, should the committee consider in any way? Like you well, talked about the fact that Central Florida, so they Bama consider would be that favored. now. But if yeah. after a loss, and if Michigan were to beat Ohio State and Northwestern, maybe that's different. Maybe that's an eight point margin for Vegas. Now I don't think that the committee would would actually consider Vegas. I hear you though, and we look at the same models. Heck. I hate it, but you've actually gotten me to bring them up. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I mean, mean, I, I think because it's, th- it's true. At some point, I think here's the bottom line: in your hypothetical scenario, if they were to include Alabama, I believe that the playoff ends. Me, I think it it ends as four and goes to eight, or what? It happens? blows up. Something happens to it. Either the criteria is changed, and they say that only champions can go or it goes to six, or it goes to eight, but that happens almost immediately. Um, we, I think that the impetus to this playoff was LSU-Alabama and what was that, 11? Yes. Uh, and, and I think that we would absolutely get some change or iteration of change almost immediately if Alabama as a non-champ were included over a Michigan team that was the first team in the history of our sport to go 10-0 and in a league and not get in, in particular with a league that is – quite frankly, as good and has as much tradition as the Big Ten. All right, so let's go to the other, I think, really fascinating hypothetical. And this is going to drive you crazy because I know you've argued how important head-to-head is. What if Notre Dame loses a close game this weekend to Syracuse? Could easily happen, right? Syracuse playing really well, lost a tight game to Clemson, lost in overtime to Pitt. They're sitting right now at 8-2. and two. Dino Babers had a heck of a year for Syracuse. Wouldn't be a huge surprise if that happened. And then Michigan goes on and wins out, finishes 12-1. and one. I can see your face already. You're nervous yeah. about this. Head-to-head, only one can get in, Notre Dame or Michigan, who you got? That's a te- I mean, it's a terrible scenario. Right. Um, two ways to look at this. You just go with the head-to-head and Notre Dame goes. Tie break. Which I think I would be fine with. Candidly, I don't have a preference. I'm just going to lay out, I think, their their path. Yes. If you want to include Notre Dame, it's very easy. You say, we saw the game, they go. And if, they're losing to Syracuse, so it's not like they're losing to a team that's so bad, you would say. I know yeah, you think Syracuse, I mean, I think is, Syracuse overrated, is garbage. But, but Syracuse right. could finish 10-2. and two. Sure. Right? So, I mean, so and, you've and got would that. be in a really good uh, bowl game. And it would be considered a neutral site that's closer to Syracuse than Correct. it is South Bend and uh, Yankee Stadium. Or you would go the path of, we've seen the committee pound a league and teams for not playing a conference championship game, i.e. Baylor and TCU. Now, Baylor and TCU are a far different brand than Notre Dame. So it remains to be seen what happens and what the overall impact is of not being in a league and not winning a conference championship game and not playing that 13th game. Um, I think that would be the avenue, although I do think that that one's a, a more... That's a darker road to go down, candidly. I would I would lean, even though I think Michigan would beat them now, I would lean towards including Notre Dame. We saw the game. You know, we saw the game. Now, here's the, here's the other really, I think, interesting part of that. I think if that happens, that is like music to the ears of Oklahoma fans because all of a sudden they can sneak in as well. Like you could, in theory, get Oklahoma in there. Um, I think that that's a, a very plausible scenario um and i think you could get 
in theory, I, I don't think I'm thinking of this wrong. You can get Notre Dame and Michigan in the playoff. Yeah, look, I don't think that's impossible at all. And and look, right now it looks simple. And if you know this, I know this, anybody who's a big college football fan knows this. What appears to be simple typically in college football is not usually simple. In other words, Bama going 13-0, Clemson going 13-0, and Notre Dame going 12-0, the odds of getting three undefeated teams are pretty low, right? I mean, if anything we learn in college football chaos, you know this, down the stretch, the pressure gets ratcheted up. So it could be incredibly simple. Michigan goes 12-1. and one. Those other three teams go undefeated. We know exactly who gets in. Do you expect to see some chaos down the stretch? We should expect it. We Based should. on everything yeah. we've seen about college football in the last two generations, that's 100%. what we get, right? 100%. And, and quite frankly, you know, when you look at, at, the, at the history of college football, you don't get a lot of teams that are a lot of years in which there's multiple undefeateds. In fact, if you're looking at kind of a history of college football, the only times since like 92, which is what I would consider like the championship era, that you have three undefeated teams going into the bowl season, it happened in 2009 with Texas, Alabama, and Cincinnati, so it didn't really matter because it's Cincinnati. In 04, everyone remembers USC, Oklahoma, and Auburn. And then in 1993, a lot of people forget that West Virginia, Nebraska, and all Auburn, which was uh, ineligible at that time, they were undefeated. And the Texas A&M, Miami, and Alabama in 92 were undefeated. Um, it could happen. Uh, I think that we're going to get some some chaos. I think last week showed more cracks in the foundation for Alabama than any other week, even in a shutout victory, because what Mississippi State proved is that if you had a good enough defense, you could slow down and stop that offense to the tune of half of what they normally generate from a scoreboard perspective. They were averaging 50 points. They got held right around the mid-20s. That's good news for Georgia and Clemson and Michigan and Notre Dame. Uh, and now the, the question remains, like, what can an offense do against Alabama? My contention would be that there's a few offenses, namely one of them being Oklahoma, that no def- defense in college football can hold under 40 points. So if OU were to play against Alabama, it would be incredibly exciting, but I ultimately think that it would be something in the neighborhood of, like, 58-42 Probably Alabama because they wins wouldn't that be game. able to stop Alabama no, either. I want to ask you about this. Alabama. So, did you see the hits? It seems to me that people are recognizing that Alabama with Tua is great. Alabama without Tua is just good, right? A couple of those hits Mississippi State put on him looked designed that they were going right at his knee. You know, early against LSU, he took a helmet right to the groin, right? And I know he's moving, and it's difficult to know exactly where you're gonna look, where you're gonna hit. Yeah. But do you feel when you've watched these games like people are trying to take Tua out maybe in a way that's different than a normal game or a normal opponent? If there weren't the targeting rules, then yes, it would be very clear that they're trying to take him out. But because of the targeting rules, and in particular against high-profile quarterbacks, which can be considered almost all the times in a defenseless position, I think players are forced to go low. Um, so I don't know. It's certainly, listen, I think what you're suggesting cer- uh, certainly seems like what is happening. I, I think that they're going low. In other words, and what I mean by that is a lot of times you play against somebody really good. You think, hey, if we play our perfect game, we can beat them. Sure. It seems like a lot of teams that are going against Alabama right now are saying, even if we play our perfect game, we they're can't just beat too good. Unless Jalen not plays. in, right. and we get Jalen Hurts, there's a big difference. They go from great to good. And there, listen, there is a big difference. 
Again, if there weren't the targeting rules, you think it'd be more pronounced. A hundred percent. Same hits, same situations. I would say absolutely something's happening right now. They're trying to knock him out of the game. But because of of all these targeting rules, what you see a lot of times, whether it's against running backs, wide receivers, tight ends over the middle, against Gronkowski in the NFL, college football, defensive players go low constantly. So I can't say definitively this year that it's just Tua. Would you play Tua against Citadel? If no. You- no, that's crazy and, and old school and dumb, quite frankly. The the most important player on Alabama's roster is Tua Tungavailoa. There is zero reason to play him against the Citadel. I don't care if you're trying to say that we take every game seriously because you don't have to. You're 51-point favorites. It's the Citadel, for goodness sake. Like, they throw the ball for under 100 yards per game, and they give up over 250 yards passing th- per game. You're going to beat them by a million points if you really wanted to. And to me, it just seems short, short, short-sighted. And candidly, it's, it's, I don't think it's a good plan. So as we look forward now in, uh, in the college football, what do you think is going to happen with West Virginia and Oklahoma State? You've seen these teams play quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, is West Virginia going to win? I think it's fair to say Oklahoma is going to beat Kansas. So yeah. how big of a Friday game is that going to be in Morgantown? I mean, I, I think it's going to be massive with Oklahoma. I mean, the, the Oklahoma State thing is interesting because West Virginia, you know, at times they've played solid defense, but then at times they, they have shown – that they can't stop anybody. Namely, they couldn't stop Texas in that game a couple of weeks back that that Gus and I had. Um, You know, when you look at, they're going to face two teams that have averaged over 500 yards of offense this year, Oklahoma State and OU. That's West Virginia has to finish their season. Yeah, that's what West Virginia has to finish their season. So basically, Will Greer and that offense have to play some of their perfect football. Now, for the majority of the season, they've done that. In every game outside of Iowa State, they've scored over 35 points, averaging about 44, and they're averaging about 480 yards per game in every other game outside of Iowa State. So have they done that? Yes. Has Oklahoma State and Oklahoma shown any ability to stop anybody on defense? No. Um, I think West Virginia's got a great shot to win both of those games, and the fact that OU has to play in Morgantown is just a huge deal. A huge deal, and quite frankly, that's what Ohio State and, and Washington State – they're hoping that there's some sort of split in the Big 12 so that they can have some path to the uh, college football playoff. You will be calling Michigan against Ohio State, oh. which has the potential to be a absolutely massive game. Um, just a monster. So I know how much you're excited about this because you are, like, in addition to having the job that you have, sometimes guys get to our jobs and they don't really care that much about the outcome. You know some of these guys that, that, that you know, do what we do, and, like, that's just kind of, like, you get... And not only outcome, they don't care about, about the sport yes you know they're just doing it as a job so you i'm get, certainly not in that category yeah, i care get, way too much about the sport you get chills in your arms and everything else like a lot of the fans will when these games start so i want to ask you a couple things one how do you address when you know it's going to be a massive audience all the off-field drama with ohio state as your preparation goes when you're actually calling the game Take people into that window of preparation for a game. How much of that is a story? How much is not a story? Does it detract from what's happening on the field? How do you hit the right balance to talk about Ohio State? Yeah, I think, first of all, Gus has a great feel yeah. for for what we need to hit on, but he also is unbelievable in knowing that all we need to do is hit on it, address it, and move on. We don't have to sit there. I think too many broadcasts will sit on it yes. or not touch it at all right. and just sweep it under the rug. And I think that there's a balance there. And, and Gus 
I think does a great job editorially of making sure that we, we're like, hey, hey, this is what's going on with Ohio State. Joel, how's that affected them this year? Hey, here's my two cents. Okay, here we go, and let's move on. Um, so I'm sure that we're going to touch on a little of that. I'm sure that we're going to have to touch on that, in particular with it being back in the news with the, um, quite frankly, really poor report from Brett McMurphy. I mean, you're, you have a journalistic background. I'm around the journalism industry now, and – Candidly, I'm pretty surprised at the article that was published this week with the lack of substantiating evidence to publish something like that and those allegations. That was, I was shocked. I'll just say it that way. I don't know if you were or not. I, when I read it, regardless of how I felt about if it happened or not, I thought that the fact that it was published with the lack of substantiating evidence was surprising. I don't know how you feel. I would love to get your thoughts on that. No, I mean, I, I was intrigued by it because, and, and I honestly have just read the, the base. I haven't covered the story since. So my understanding is the, uh, and, and I could be a little bit off on this, um, but my understanding is his source is the dad, right? Correct. But but the actual player wouldn't go on the record right. and the mom and then, wouldn't go on the record. And then everybody else said and, it wasn't true. And then every witness from the Ohio State side, including teammates, has said it's not true. So right. again, I'm at that point. You got to. That's a that's a tough. I think it's an publish. I think it's an aggressive story to run with in general because hearing one person's side. Now, um, I also don't know all the background of how it gets vetted and how yeah. many people are involved in it and everything else. Um, I don't know that it really changes anything, you know, in in my mind because we, I, I think you would agree with me. Zach Smith, probably not a really great dude. No, and, and that's and, not news to anybody. Yeah, right. And so at, 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 at part, that point in it, time, I don't know that it changes anybody's impressions of what's going on And there. I feel like because it was McMurphy and not Andy Staples or somebody else yeah. that comes out with this art, it's, it feels more personal. It feels more like a vendetta even from the McMurphy side, specifically against these individuals that he was involved with um, at the beginning of the season. Having said that, let me get back to question. Preparing for a game like Ohio State with the storylines that they've been into, I'm doing my best as an analyst to prepare as if I was a quarterback. So I want to know and have a plan for first down. I want to have a plan for second down. I want to have a plan for how I would attack each defense and each offense if I was the defensive coordinator. And then what I'm trying to do during the course of the game is not rely on a bunch of stats and information that anyone can read, but take people into the insights of what's happening on the field. Try to be forward-looking and not backward-looking. So when I start a series, outline, hey, these are the three things that they're doing well right now. Here's how I would adjust and, and go from there. Outstanding stuff as always with Joel Clapp. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Clay Travis is really confident. He's out in Los Angeles all week. We uh, heard from him and Joel Klatt in the first hour of this show. So before we move forward, we've played over the last two days the two interviews with the Indian Tiger Hunter, the Indian Big Game Hunter, Nawab Shafat Ali Khan. And if you missed the last hour, it's a good reason to subscribe to the podcast because you never miss anything on this show. And you can do that with all the Fox shows. But definitely join the millions that are already subscribed to the Outkick the Coverage podcast through iTunes or whatever it is that your podcast catcher is of choice. You can consume this show, and we'd like you to, however you best would like to do so. But there is an update. 
out there to this story that we were getting tweets about over the last several minutes, and it's just kind of broken today. I'm not sure all of the specifics because there's a lot of moving parts today. Let's bring in Dub Yarbrough. I believe he's our T1 expert and find out the latest. Expert indeed. This is news out of New Delhi. A quick update on the two cubs of the man-eating tigress who are orphaned now, obviously. Uh, they've been found in a forest in western India. Mm. And they look healthy, which I don't know if is good news or not. But uh, word on the street, they're they're gonna they're gonna try to be rescued and rehabilitated. So we have eyes on the offspring. So we're gonna have to just wait and see what Nawab and his crew are able to do with the two tigress cubs. Danny, can we get uh, I knew Nawab Shafat Ali Khan on in about ten minutes? We can bump Alex Marvez. Let's get him on. Thank God Clay is busy on the FS1 TV lot right now because if he was sitting. In the main studio chair as Norm, he definitely would be sending that message to me in the chat room. Like, go ahead and get uh, Nawab set to go right now so we could talk about the Cubs. Yeah, well, I mean, the Cubs got knocked out by the Rockies, right? hey yo. Yeah. Uh, so, two Cubs are still alive. What's your take on this, Danny? You're sort of the guy that, you know, lined up these interviews. How do you, f- how do you think Ali Khan feels about this? Well, he said that he was commissioned to tranquilize the two cubs so they could try to be rehabilitated. So let's hope that that's the case because these are youngsters just starting their lives. We don't want to see them put to death. So we now have our West Coast folks, you know, well, there's the overnighters that are with us all night long, and then there's those that are waking up for their day. And last night was a milestone. LeBron James, fifth in scoring in NBA history, eclipsed Wilt Chamberlain, had 44 last night. Did it in front of Clay Travis, who was there. Lakers now eight and six. They beat the Blazers. A nice win for them. And now there's news over the last few hours that Rajon Rondo is out for three to five weeks, could be longer. A fractured third metacarpal in his right hand. Luke Walton revealed it after the one twenty six one seventeen win at Staples last night. Rondo's going to see a specialist later on today to see whether or not surgery is going to be required. Lakers are operating this from ESPN, operating under the assumption that Rondo's out three to five weeks, depending on the decision to undergo surgery and the recover time. It's believed that the fracture came during a fourth quarter steal off of Yusuf Nurkic with about 824 left in the game. Rondo then stayed in the game for three more minutes. He hit his hand on the floor when he went to steal that ball, according to his coach Luke Walton. So... No Rajon Rondo for the next couple of weeks, maybe for over a month. What does that mean out in Lakerland to you guys? I have felt like that Lonzo has been better when Rondo has not been around. And we've seen a lot of good things from Lonzo. And we've seen some things that you don't like quite as much. But obviously Lonzo Ball is going to be out there a lot more often. You know where Rondo has been very useful for the Lakers is in the huddle. And as far as the locker room, his veteran leadership. And I know that 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 term gets thrown around a lot. But in this case, it's been true because there's been times where Walton steps back and is quiet and Rondo's leading the team in the huddle. That Tyson Chandler signing has just become that much more important. Yeah, true. Yeah, because with Rondo sitting out now with that broken hand, that means Tyson Chandler is going to have to flex his veteran leadership muscles even further. 
Yeah, that turns out to be a really nice addition, and I'll uh, I'll let you talk here in just a second, Roberto, but it's actually in this article and in a lot of articles. Lonzo Ball said he's a true leader about Rondo. Lonzo started the last 12 games, but obviously he's going to be out there even more. He's going to take a big uptick in minutes. But Rondo has actually, some of the players have even said, you know, he's basically like an extra assistant coach. He's been out there helping Lonzo. He's helped Brandon Ingram. He's been out there with Kuzma. So what you're saying he has not been a negative influence at all on this team. He's somebody that cares a lot about winning, except when he was in Dallas, which just seemed to be a bad fit. In general, you didn't hear a lot. Remember how he felt? He also felt like a leader last year in New Orleans. Like It felt like he was sort of a galvanizing force and certainly somebody that you absolutely trusted in, in crunch time and in clutch time to make the right play with the basketball. has unbelievable vision, and it was certainly helping Lonzo Ball and his development. Ball's going to have to play more, but you're right, and you guys can comment a little bit further. Tyson Chandler, being a veteran that has a lot of respect, commands a lot of respect, and knows the game very well, that turns out to be a real blessing to have acquired him when they did. I think uh, the Rondo signing kind of taking minutes away from uh, from Alonzo, and uh, we've got to see these guys. we got to see these guys. we got to let them play. We've got to let them grow and see what see what they have, what they're made of. I think this is going to... It's going to help Lonzo. I think it's it's going to help him. Lonzo was actually hitting his threes. Yeah, exactly. Last night, which was nice to see. Yeah, Rondo's averaging 9.3 points, 6.8 assists, 4.8 rebounds, 1.1 steals going into last night's game. So he's been doing kind of what he does. He's not out there to score. Every once in a while, he'll get you a bucket, but he's going to give you a solid pass six or seven times to get you buckets. He will go out and get a couple of dirty rebounds. He will go out there and pilfer, and unfortunately, his 1.1 steal average might have been the cause of this hand. But how how much better do you feel about Lonzo Ball as a Laker fan this year than you did even at the end of last year? Like, how many strides do you look at and say, "All right, this guy is really poised to explode this year," or do you still see things that you really don't like about Lonzo's game? I think it's hard to tell right now because yeah. we're still too early into the season. I think that LeBron has been a really good big brother to Lonzo so far. And so we'll see if it continues to help Lonzo progress on the court because you know what the problem with Lonzo was last year, Jason. You commented a lot on the air about it. He was way too passive. He wasn't yes. he wasn't on the court during crunch time, which was, you know, everybody scratching their head like, hey, this dude's a top draft pick. He's supposed to be the next coming, in, and he's not even on the floor when the game matters the most. Now he's he has a chance to grow with one of the greatest of the of all time in LeBron. Is he going to blossom into what Laker fans thought he was going to be in year one? We'll, time will tell. We'll find out by the halfway point. And if he's finally out there, and this is going to be the question mark, if he can continue to drain those threes and play well when he's actually on the floor, when Rondo's healthy – does that mean Rondo's going to come off the bench and suddenly Lonzo's one of the key cogs in the Lakers' starting lineup? I mean, I think that's what you want, right? I think you want Rajon Rondo to kind of be the guy that comes in and leads that second unit. Yeah, you want but to also the leads exactly. from the bench. Yeah, absolutely. Like Oklahoma City was probably at its best when James Harden was coming off the bench, and then you had guys like Manu Ginobili in San Antonio that voluntarily took himself out of that starting lineup for Greg Popovich. And then came in and was a gigantic spark plug on all sides of the floor for those Spurs teams. You could use that with L.A. 
Lonzo can be your Jason Kidd type, the guy that's really starting to develop. He was really the anti-Kobe last year in terms of just lacking a killer instinct. All of the oxygen was sucked up by his father. This year, I don't even hear anything about his dad. The last time I saw something about his dad was like him and, was it him and Kanye that were together or him and somebody overseas at a game, they saw each other and they talked for a little bit. And that's the last thing that you heard about LeVar Ball. Lonzo is actually able to kind of come out of his shell just a bit and you're around LeBron James, you now know it's his team. A lot of the pressure is also off of Lonzo Ball at the same time. So this is what you should see. You should see a guy that's starting to play a little bit more free and clear and have more just built-in confidence because he's got one of the two to three best players in the history of this league on the floor with him, still contributing at an extremely high level. So I think all signs look pretty positive for Lonzo. There was certainly talk during the offseason. Lonzo, by the trade deadline, would not be a part of this roster. I don't feel that way right now. I don't know if I'm alone, but I feel like Lonzo might actually be in L.A. for a long time. Yeah, and let's start a rumor this morning now that the West Coast okay. is waking yeah, let's up. let's do that. Shouts out to our affiliate in the Bay Area, 95-7 the game. How about the Lakers' Rob Palenka calls the Warriors' front office and takes Draymond Green off their hands? If you had Green in the lineup with LeBron James, and I know that they, they used to be nemesis, but what if Green was added to the Lakers' mix? Would, would you see a Western Finals appearance? If you get Draymond Green, then you've got to let some of these other crazy guys go. Like, you can't have... I don't know that you can have Lance Stevenson and (laughs) Draymond Green and Rondo and JaVale. And JaVale's actually played pretty well. How good good have those role players actually looked, though? Before the season started, what did you hear? Oh, this ragtag bunch of players put together by Magic and Palinka. They got a bunch of misfits. There hasn't been any problems out of any of these guys. No, there really haven't. And JaVale McGee, you know, he's he's always he's kind of gotten tagged with that Shacked and a Fool deal where everybody just waits for him to make mistakes. Yeah, but the Warriors the actually about, miss him. Exactly. Yeah, and the thing about JaVale year. McGee is the reason why he and Shaq kind of got into it is because JaVale felt like he was hurting his career. JaVale wants to play basketball. And I kind of was just like, ah, I just let it go. It doesn't matter, you know. It has not hurt me that I didn't make it into work because of snow on the ground. By the way, it snowed today and I made it. So take <laughs> yeah, that. Job. Golf clubs. But uh, yeah, absolutely right. But JaVale McGee is actually a talented basketball player. That's sort of the thing that I think has been lost in all of the blooper reel about JaVale McGee is that he can play. And you're right. They do miss him in Golden State. And the Lakers, I think, are, are better with him on the floor. I mean, I haven't watched every minute of every Lakers game because it's West Coast and I'm on the East Coast and have to be up early, but I've been impressed with JaVale kind of just fitting into this roster and playing hard and doing some of the dirty work in the paint. I like him. I think he's done a good job there. Now, you're right. all the talk yesterday... You really yesterday, haven't heard any stories yet about any of these yeah, guys. Yeah, no. They've all been getting along really well, and it's nice to see the chemistry... And and I've been watching the backstage Lakers program, which is on Spectrum Cable here in Los Angeles, and the chemistry, the camaraderie that those guys have with LeBron, he's like the big, big brother, and then he's got the youngsters, and just watching them interact and goof around and having fun on the road, you could tell that they genuinely all get along with each other. 
And that's been really nice to see because the Lakers have missed that in the past few years. So I know that even some Laker fans were sour on the LeBron signing at first, especially the big Kobe honks. But now, and I got some tweets when I woke up from those same Laker fans saying, you know, I really didn't know what to think about the LeBron signing, but now just that feeling of knowing that the Lakers can win any, they have a chance at least of winning any game when they step out on the court feels so nice. And so even those staunch Kobe guys are coming around right now. Also, isn't it interesting? We've got Alex Marvez coming up uh, after this break talking NFL but isn't it interesting that you expected this season to be this reality show out in Los Angeles? And really, we're just watching them play basketball and try to congeal and, and find out what they have as they try to gel together as a unit. But the drama's not with that team. It's this Golden State story. It's Carmelo Anthony and what's happening in Houston and how badly that's going. It's Jimmy Butler being unhappy in Minnesota and then finally having to get rid of him and send him to the 76ers there is a lot of drama in the NBA and almost none of it is in LA which I don't think anybody would have predicted going into the season the Lakers are just out there playing basketball and they're over 500 and LeBron James is now fifth on the scoring list after a 44 44 point performance last night and nine point win over a pretty good Blazers team yeah, the only, so it's starting to look all right. Yeah, the only drama was in the beginning of the season when they started off slow, but ever since then, uh, the drama has been less. Yeah, and these other stories are starting to emerge. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. We bring in my good friend Alex Marvez on Twitter, Alex Marvez, if you want to follow him. Hey, Marv, how are you, buddy? Jmart, impressive resume. You should just keep going. Tell us what you did in high school, grade point average, college, all that stuff. You're rolling, baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm rolling, and I could just spend minute after minute doing that, or I could, you know, check myself and not let pride get the better of me and talk about the NFL with you. So we got three pretty good primetime matchups this week. Packers, Seahawks, almost a knockout game in some respects. Seahawks lose and the Rams win. The Rams will win the West. They will clinch the West already. Rams, Chiefs on Monday, Vikings, Bears on Sunday. But starting tonight, which one of these two teams needs this win more? Well, gosh, I mean, really, it's almost equal in that regard. Like you say, like you can almost consider it a knockout game. And listen, you look at the division, and I get it. No one's going to catch the Rams. I mean, realistically, the Seahawks, they would lose the tiebreaker head-to-head even if the Rams were to suffer an outright collapse and they finished with the exact same record. So let's not kid ourselves about that. But when it comes to the wild card race, Seattle is very viable. You know, the, the, the fact that the NFC West just isn't as competitive a division as the NFC North works to their advantage. Now, I wouldn't, I, if Green Bay loses, gosh, I, I mean, it's just, it's going to be tough for them because of the fact Minnesota and Chicago are just two better teams right now. And the Packers are just sputtering along, right? I mean, they did get the running game going last week against the Miami Dolphins, but the Dolphins have struggled to stop the run all season. So I don't know how much of an indication that is that they'll be able to have some success against Seattle tonight. And for the Seahawks, getting Chris Carson back is huge. And by the way, and listen, I love Fox Sports Radio, and I understand how the business world works. But to have the Green Bay Packers have to fly 1,900 miles on a short week, you want to talk about stacking the deck against Mm -hmm. the team? And we have a league that talks about player safety and things like that. Uh, You know, that puts the Green Bay Packers in a really tough spot. You know, having to do that type of travel, they are not, they're going to be without Randall Cobb for sure. Uh, you know, for the Seahawks, health is a little bit better. Chris Carson set the play tonight. By the way, the Seahawks, 
have three different 100-yard rushers this season. Very interesting on that, J. Mart. Rashad Penny finally showing up last week, 100-yard performance against the Rams. 274 yards on the ground last week by Seattle. I expect them to try to continue that type of game plan tonight. Yeah, what you were just saying about the Seahawks running the ball, they're actually averaging the most rushing yards in the league right now, 152.2, which I don't think anybody would have figured. And then the Packers are averaging 5.2 yards per rush. They've got Aaron Jones. He's on my fantasy roster, and Mike McCarthy still doesn't want to run this guy. Yeah, you know, Mike is always a little reticent. You know, very he's been known as a pass-heavy type of coach. But, you know, look, I look at it like with Sean Payton as well. When these guys are at their best, there's balance. And Aaron Jones, listen, he missed the first two games of the season serving a suspension. And, you know, they were just insistent, it seemed, upon playing Ty Montgomery for a while. Well, you know, it's funny how all that works out, right? And Ty Montgomery did himself in with the Packers. But look at what happened in Cleveland with, you know, Nick Chubb. And basically, John Dorsey, the GM's like, play this guy. So, and when Hugh Jackson wouldn't, well, they made it real easy by trading Carlos Hyde away to the Jacksonville Jaguars. You had no choice but to play Nick Chubb. In this case, you really, by trading Ty Montgomery, you had no choice but to play Aaron Jones. And he is a good running back. I mean, he averaged, you know, I mean, he was averaging chunks, you know, against the Miami Dolphins, 15 carries for 145 yards is, I think, what the total was. And he's a mm-hmm. decent pass catcher out of the backfield. So we'll see if they're able to get that balance. You know, Green Bay secondary, though, young, beat up, ha-ha Clinton Dix got traded. And I know he wasn't part of their long-term plans, but you just get the feeling the Packers are this team that's really stuck in neutral. And that doesn't bode well for Mike McCarthy because the narrative over this team. And it's funny, we don't talk about how, oh, well, Russell Wilson has only won one Super Bowl title during his time with the Seattle Seahawks, right? But for Green Bay, it's this this overarching, well, Aaron Rodgers has only won one Super Bowl. He should have 12 of them by now. And that falls on Mike McCarthy. And if if this team falls short of the postseason, I just don't know if Mike is, is back in 2019. I saw Peter Schrager tweet this out. I think they're talking about it today on Good Morning Football, which is a fantastic show on the NFL Network, and Schrager is a big uh, big friend of this program. But they are debating today whether or not the media gives Aaron Rodgers too much of a pass because apparently that's a narrative that's starting to emerge. Where do you fall on that debate? I'm not a fan of either of the two things that you just plugged. Uh, on top of that, I'll just go on the record as saying that. Um, but that being said, the media giving Aaron Rodgers a pass. Aaron Rodgers is physically the best quarterback in football, and he plays in a system that places more stress upon him than just about any quarterback in the NFL. Think about it. You know, this guy drops back. He's holding onto the football for what? Five, six, seven right. seconds, you know, for plays to unfold downfield. The wide receivers have to be on the same page as him mentally. But what if Aaron Rodgers played in a more quarterback-friendly offense? And when I say that, something that's getting the football out of his hand more quickly. You know, you think about Ben Roethlisberger and how things changed for him when he went from the Bruce Arians offense that, you know, required these long, big dropbacks, and then he's holding on to the football forever, and then, boom, at the end, he takes this big hit and he gets blown up. Well, that was what's happening with Aaron Rodgers as well. So, you know, that's why I just think with Aaron, you know, and, and people will get, and look, I like Mike McCarthy. I like him personally. I like him professionally. Yet look at the success his team has had through the years. An incredible run from the, of the postseason from 2009 all the way until last year. But times change in the NFL. Things change. Offenses change. Defenses change. you got to change with it. And I just sort of beginning to wonder, is this offense that Aaron Rodgers is in good enough to be, take him to where he needs to be? I don't put it on A-Rod. A-Rod is still unbelievable when you got two minutes left in a game you need to win you want to put the football in the sand because you figure he's going to deliver so I, I am not going to criticize Aaron Rodgers I think he's above that yeah I don't want this to be an NFC North interview but I also want to because I feel like it's it's kind of criminally under talked about and I don't know that most NFL fans around the country are paying attention to the fact 
that the Bears are in the lead in the <laughs> NFC North, that Khalil Mack is back healthy, that quietly Mitch Trubisky is playing good football, that Tariq Cohen is getting the job done, that they've got this receiver back that's one of the ten best in the league, and Matt Nagy is doing a hell of a job in his first season with everybody talking about McVay and, and all of the offenses, and certainly with good reason. Matt Nagy is a pretty solid mind of himself, and the Bears, somebody needs to start paying attention to the fact that the Chicago Bears might actually be pretty good. Oh, they're really good. And think about it, as Khalil Mack gets more and more comfortable, gets back from that ankle injury, how much better they're going to continue to become. Listen, they've also had, finally, a run of good health. You know, I mean, that's been something that's been affecting the Bears in recent years. But, you know, you get the feeling. Like, with Green Bay, they're, they're sort of a middling team, right? I mean, they, they may have peaked, you know, under Mike McCarthy. I'm not sitting here trying to beat up Mike all morning, but that's just reality. The Detroit Lions, look, the double-digit double losses, right? And, and they're going nowhere fast at this point. They've got some issues as they try to become uh, the New England of the Midwest. Good luck with all that, guys. Uh, you know, and then we got the Vikings, a team that's built to win now, right? You, you don't pay Kirk Cousins the type of money you did with a guaranteed contract if you don't think you're ready to go, you know, right now, this season, next season. They're on a three-year cycle there with him in Minnesota. But for the Bears, I mean, the, the best is yet to come. And I know they gave up their first-round pick to the Raiders, J-Mart, you know, for next year. And, and also 2020, they do get a second-rounder back in 2020. But think about it. Mitch Trubisky's under a rookie contract. That's going to allow the Bears to continue to build around him. And I would imagine the offensive line is an area that's going to get addressed in the offseason. You know, Jordan Howard, you wonder how he fits in in the long term because he's not a good pass catcher running back. He's just, you know, a, he's a really good solid rusher, but just not great catching the ball out of the backfield. But I think as the, the roster continues to get transformed, this Bears team is going to continue to get better and better. And Mitch Trubisky has really improved as a quarterback. And I think when you look at Sean McVay with the Rams, you look at, at Matt Nagy and the job that he's done uh, with the Bears, this is what makes it so interesting with the Cleveland vacancy coming up. Because whoever John Dorsey hires, and I don't believe that Greg Williams has a snowball's chance of getting that job at long term, even though he'll get the interview as a courtesy by John Dorsey. But you've got to feel good about, okay, what offense is Baker Mayfield going to play in? Can we get the type of production out of him that Sean McVay's gotten out of Jared Goff, that Matt Nagy's gotten out of Mitch Trubisky? Who's that next quarterback whisperer? We might be seeing him on the opposite side of the field when the Bears play the Vikings uh, coming up uh, you know, on, on Sunday night because John Filippo is one of these hot candidates that you think, mm-hmm. wow, you know, he's been an OC, maybe he'll be the next head coach. So that's why I'm bullish on the Bears. I really am. Starting week one when he played Green Bay, you just almost while the Bears lost the game, you almost saw passing of the torch, J-Mart, at that point about what team is on the rise and what team is sort of being left behind. Yeah, I think you make a good point, Alex Marvez, our guest here on Outkick the Coverage. When you're looking at coaching vacancies and you're talking about Cleveland and you've got Baker Mayfield and you've got some some pieces there, certainly Nick Chubb doing his thing, I'm looking at guys like Steve Wilkes and Todd Bowles and all these folks. I think that all of them are probably going to be looking for new work probably sooner rather than later. Are we moving to a trend where we're going to see basically offensive minds given chances to run teams instead of defensive minds, especially in franchises like you've got Josh Rosen or you've got Sam Darnold. Don't you want the quarterback whisperer making those decisions as opposed to putting guys in there that are defensive minds that might not be ready or qualified for the jobs they have? You know, it's just how you construct your staff. I mean, in the case of Carolina, for example, right, you have Norv Turner. And Norv is probably, I mean, probably not going to get another head coaching opportunity, right? But he's someone who's a really solid offensive coordinator who you feel good about developing a guy. And, you know, those veteran coordinators, if you come in as a coach and, you you know, for a head coaching interview and you say, this is my offensive coordinator, and you feel pretty good that you're not going to lose him to another opportunity elsewhere as a head coach, well, that's pretty strong. Let me give you an example. Dirk Cutter in Tampa Bay. 
Maybe mm-hmm. I don't think Dirk's going to survive there, right? But gosh, I mean, you're talking about a team. Jay Bart, they put up 501 yards of offense last week, 29 first downs, and they scored three points. Okay, yeah. but you get my point that this is mo- this is the number one offense in football. Yet there's other things that they don't do well. Well, if you if you're a head coaching candidate and you say, okay. I've got this guy on my staff, Dirk Cutter, and you feel pretty good that you're not going to lose him again to another team, you can hire that type of guy. But I'm with you. Everyone's looking for the hot offensive coach. You know, we, John Filippo is going to be there. Listen, Mike Munchak is going to draw strong consideration of the Pittsburgh Steelers because his offensive line is just that darn solid. He has previous head coaching experience, no-nonsense type of guy. He'll be a nice flavor of the month for somebody to come in and, and try to get things together. I'm just not big on I say flavor of the month. I hate to be this way, but I'm just not big on offensive line coaches as NFL head coaches. The last offensive line coach to take his team to a Super Bowl was Bill Callahan of the Oakland Raiders wow. back yeah, back in Super Bowl thirty seven. So it just has not been a great track record of success there. You're gonna see names in the college ranks come up. Obviously Lincoln Riley already being associated with the Dallas Cowboys is going to be a hot pick in potentially in Cleveland to get reunited with Baker Mayfield. I wouldn't be surprised if Urban Meyer starts showing up on some radars. Jim Harbaugh is always going to be that guy. He's our, our modern-day Nick Saban. Are you leaving, Jim, this year? And there'll always be rumors about that, and Asian will leak it out there to try to generate more money from the University of Michigan, you know, that type of thing. And Matt Campbell at Iowa State is another guy who's mentioned as a potential pro coach. But what are we at with, with the coaching field next year? I just mentioned all the guys. There just isn't – that's the thing about, about, you know, this head coaching search is coming up. I think some teams are going to have to hustle, man. I think they're going to have to move really quickly, get some guys – that they feel good about to come in because I just think the coaching pool really weak when it comes to head coaching candidates in 2019. Alex, I was here. I watched Titans Patriots in person on Sunday. Clay did as well. Uh, pretty amazing. Uh, not anything anybody expected. Maybe not the the Patriots lost. They haven't been good on the road this year. But how convincing the victory was at 34 to 10. I've got the Patriots. When I'm just looking at them, I'm not looking at the numbers right now. I like the Steelers better than them. I like the Chargers better than them, and I certainly like Kansas City better than them. How do you feel about the Patriots right now? Uh, Patriots, they were tired. They were really beat up. Listen, this was a team averaging 36.3 points a game over their previous six contests until they played Tennessee. And I'm, I'll get to Tennessee in a second. I talked with Mike Vrabel last night. I have some information there. But, you yeah. know, for the past, bye comes at the right time, J. Mark. You know, some teams, you, it's like, man, you know, early season bye just kills you. Fortunately, for the, on the Patriots end, the fact that they now get to rest up some. Think about last week, no Sony Michelle, right? I mean, he played, but he wasn't Sony Michelle. You know, no Rob Gronkowski. You know, no Shaq Mason, who's a really good right guard. I mean, there were a lot of pieces missing on this Patriots team. Kudos to the Titans. Listen, they took care of business. They, they dominated on special teams. Marcus Mariota looking like a franchise quarterback. And listen, I know I've been, I've been tough on Matt LaFleur. His offense the past couple weeks has been clicking. They found some really good things that they're doing well there. But I just think for the Pats, this was just a beat-up team. Now, here's the thing with New England. When they're at home, they're, they're like you don't beat them, right? It's so right. tough to go to Foxborough and win. So we're looking at a team right now that's the number three seed. they got to catch Pittsburgh, or Pittsburgh has to stumble along the way. You look at the Patriots' remaining schedule, it's not all that impressive. You get the New York Jets twice. You get Buffalo once. You play the Dolphins in South Florida, and I know that's been a rough go of it for New England in recent years. But if the team, if they beat Pittsburgh in Week 15, I mean, they're probably hosting at least one playoff game in the second round, and they're going to be back in the AFC Championship game. So that's just how it is with with New England. You may not like them. Like, if you played on a neutral field, maybe these other teams this year are better than them. But if they get that home field advantage, it's just so huge for that franchise. I mean, they got as good a chance as anyone of going to the Super Bowl. 
Alex, always a pleasure, my friend. I'm sure you'll be talking to Clay next week. Or actually, no, you might be talking to me because I'll be in next week as well. It's always good to know. talk to you. Though. You never know. At Fox Sports Radio, you spin the wheel, you take your chances, sonny boy. No problem. All right. All right, Alex, have a good weekend. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I have a bone constrictor stuck to my face. And you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. All right, Danny, we teased monkeys, and there are a couple of monkey stories out there. One is awfully dark. I don't know if we're going to go there, but there's another monkey story as well. Yeah, lots and lots of listeners have tweeted us this story about a monkey killing a newborn baby. I am not going to cover that story, so you can Google that if you're interested. It's on brand for you, Danny. No, I learned my lesson. What was it? A couple of years back, I read a story where there was uh, a couple of children who had died, and you guys branded me like the dark news deliverer of Animal Thunderdome, and I've it's never... It's all right to be Voldemort, Danny. I've... It's all right <laughs> no. to be he who must not I'll be dare you, Danny. Show. No, I've never read a story like that again. So let me go to the other story. This is right in our wheelhouse. A growing yeah. wild monkey population in central Florida has experts on edge because... These primates are carrying a dangerous herpes B virus that can mm. cause severe brain damage and even death in humans. The rhesus monkeys are being found in Silver Spring State Park, which is in central Florida. And they're worried that these monkeys are going to double by number by 2022. Right now, the population is about 300. You might be wondering how these monkeys got to Florida because they're native to South and Southeast Asia. Well, they made their home in Florida in the late 1930s when six rhesus macacus were allegedly released by a boat operator who was hoping to use the monkeys to start an exotic attraction. This according to the University of Florida's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences. So, so is the boat operator rolling with herpes? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, That's my question. I'm guessing he's dead if this happened in the late 1930s. Like, the last thing Florida needed was more herpes as a state. I mean, Gainesville has been the syphilis capital of the world for, I don't know, a couple of centuries. They wear jorts, and they have STDs down there. I don't know that we needed to add herpes monkeys, but maybe we can let them loose in the swamp and see if Dan Mullen can do something with them. Stuff's out of hand. (laughs) These monkeys have been here for 80 years, and they didn't choose to come here. So I don't think it's fair for us to get... How did they get here, Danny? That's the question. You know why? This is Debbie Debbie Walters. They took a vegetative raft. (laughs) Oh, no. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) This uh, Debbie Walters woman from uh, Captain Tom's Custom Charters told National Geographic that she doesn't think it's fair to get rid of them because they didn't choose to come to Florida. Captain Tom or Captain Stabbin? Anyway, (laughs) I've got another story. Police in Paris seized a lion cub spotted posing for selfies inside a green Lamborghini with a man. The 33-year-old man spotted taking selfies with a two-month-old lion cub along the Champs-Élysées. I just butchered that, Élysées. 
The driver, an employee of a company that rents out luxury cars, arrested on allegations of keeping the illegal exotic animal. The lion cub, this is why I wanted to read this story, is named Putin, was taken in by the 30 million friends animal charity. The Lamborghini was returned to the rental company. This is the second lion cub that's been seized from Paris, one in a Lamborghini, one from an apartment, over the last three to four weeks. My question is this. If you've got money for a Lamborghini, I'm not putting something with claws inside my Lamborghini with that upholstery. <laughs> I've never even looked inside of, an, of a Lamborghini, but I have a feeling I would not want a live animal in there. Would you put a lion cub inside of a Lamborghini? Definitely. Because if you, if you have a Lamborghini, that means you have... I guess have, you have money to burn, Well, right? yeah, you have exotic taste, which means you're also going to want exotic animals. Guess what you can't do in France and maybe anywhere else? You uh, can't have an exotic animal inside of a luxury car. So, arrest for the 33-year-old guy trying to take selfies. Instagram's going to bring us all down, folks. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. All right, game off. We got to pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying. Flag on the play. You already talked about that, but there's just so much good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. Unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes. Cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with. Hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini-games like Digging for Treasure or a Robot Pachinko Machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on!